right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jacob Beach. I'm one of the pastors here at Scarlet City. It's good to be with you this morning. Uh, exciting news, exciting time taking over this building. It means uh, a season, a time is sort of coming to an end and, and a new uh, permanence, a new home is sort of uh, presenting itself to us. And I think it's a Good timing as we end Exodus as well this morning. Everything's sort of coming on the same uh, Sunday together. Now, endings, uh, endings are important, right? We're, we're sort of celebrating the, the end of a, of a season of travel and meeting in different places, not having a permanent home. But endings, they often speak to, I think, uh, the story as a whole, right? The whole narrative of everything that has happened in a story. It often tells us how we're supposed to feel about what has happened in a story. Now, that can be in a book, that can be in a movie, that can be in a real-life experience. I often think of the heartwarming ending of the Harry Potter series, right? Anyone read, anyone read Harry Potter? Anyone ever heard of it? Someone's holding a Harry Potter book right now? <laughs> that is not a plant. That, that works for me. But think about the 19 years later epilogue, right? It's kind of sweet. You know, the kids have grown up. They've got their own kids now. They're sending them off to Hogwarts. It's kind of cute. It's a sweet little tie-up. Uh, or you think of the end of the Shawshank Redemption. Anyone seen that movie? Now, Morgan Freeman's character, he finally makes parole. He finally gets out. Andy's already escaped previously. And, and uh, he makes his way to Mexico, and he, and he finds Andy sanding down the side of a boat just like he said he would, and they sort of smile at each other from a distance. It's very perfect. It's a perfect ending uh, to the story. Now, that's where we find ourselves this morning as well. We're at the end of Exodus. We've been here for a time, right? I think we started in, I can't remember, January, February, somewhere in there. Uh, but we're at the end of Exodus, and what we have here is a short and sweet picture of God's people and his time leading them out of Egypt coming to a close. And this picture is one of God's glory. It's an awesome and magnificent display of the greatness of God. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about God. We're going to talk about a few ways that our lives are radically changed when we are captured by the glory of God. Because when we experience God, our lives, our emotions, our worldviews, cannot remain unchanged. So let's look at Exodus 40, the final chapter in Exodus. We're going to look at just the last five verses, verses 34 through 38. Starting in verse 34, Exodus chapter 40. When the cloud covered, excuse me, then the cloud covered, the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of the Lord. 
So here it is. This is the short and sweet ending to Exodus. A, a, a massive volume, right? A massive story comes to an end with these five verses, packed with significance, and I think it's very appropriate uh, way to end this entire book and our series in Exodus itself. Throughout our exploration of Exodus, we have focused on a lot of different things. We've talked about God's liberation of his people, his presence among his people, his victorious power over those who stand against him, and his grace in giving of the law to his people. We've talked about Moses, we've talked about Pharaoh, the plagues, the desert, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, all major parts and themes woven throughout the story that God is writing about himself and about his people who worship him. And in this conclusive passage, in these five verses, we have a picture of God, the cloud of the Lord, covering the tabernacle. And if we remember what we talked about the last few weeks with the tabernacle, the tabernacle is uh, uh, this tent of meeting, this sort of mobile building that was constructed by Moses and the people of God uh, by his instruction as a formal dwelling place of the Lord on the earth. Now, it wasn't as though God was actually living like inside of a lean-to or a, or a tent or something like that, but it was clear, it was very clear that this was to be the place of formal worship of God by his people. It was supposed to be a representation of the place where he inhabited. And it says that this cloud, the same cloud that the Israelites followed out of Egypt and were led through the desert, it reappears and it covers the tent. It says the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, a thick thick, intense cloud, right? This isn't just a, a mist or a fog. This is an intense, thick cloud that Moses himself, the representation, the representative of the people of Israel, even he couldn't enter the tabernacle. Even he could not get through this thick smoke. This is a physical, unmistakable manifestation of God's presence, it's a concentrated, heavy smoke. It descended on the tabernacle in the middle of the Israelites' camp in the desert. It's a distinction. It's a demonstration to Moses and the people that God is, in fact, separate from humanity and different from people. When God shows up, it's authoritative, it's mighty, it's powerful, it's glorious. Think about maybe a super powerful pop. Okay, let's try that one more time. Powerful politician, I can say it. Think of a super powerful politician, right? If, uh, if, a, if an important politician showed up this morning, there would be metal detectors and, and I was going to say social security. What are they called? Secret service. Oh my gosh. There would be secret service, right? It would be like really intense. You know, you would feel the intensity of the moment, right? There, there would be this this sense of presence, right, that something's going on here. Just on Friday night, Ashley and I were trying to drive to Kahana, and all of 670 was closed. It was just shut down because the president was just driving to the airport. Every exit was blocked, 100, 100 police cars in every direction. But when God himself comes to dwell among his people, he shows out, right? It's significant. You can tell that something big is happening because this smoke is covering the tabernacle, and in doing so, in, in showing up in this way, we are reminded of one of the great themes of Exodus, that God is both glorious and close. He's both holy and near. 
His glory is not to be taken for granted or underestimated. You can't just enter into the holy place of worship when he's there like you own the place. Moses himself is unable to get in. And it's God's glory, his holiness, that makes him unique from the rest of creation. The creator is in himself wholly different and greater than anything that is in his creation. This is the story of Exodus. This is his story. God is the hero of the story. He's the author. He's the greatest protagonist in it. And the conclusion makes it clear that God is making a grand display of his glory in this passage and in the entire story of Exodus and the people of God. And glory is something that many of us maybe want to experience, right? It's the idea of loving being loved, being recognized, experiencing glory. Maybe it is for ourselves, right? Maybe we want the recognition of being the best member of a team, the best seller on the business team. I always try to make business like illustrations. I've never worked in an office. I have no idea. I was just hanging out with someone this week. I was like, how do you know when you're supposed to go to lunch? And they're like, you just go whenever you're not working. I was like, cool. But we want glory, right? We want to be part of the business team. We want to be part of the, we, we want to sort of be the all-star member, the, the most recognized uh, star of a team. And sometimes we just want to be connected to glory, right? We want to know that we're part of something. We're part of something significant, something that matters, something that has value. Glory is reflected onto us. We want to be part of something great, something that matters, makes a difference, or gains recognition. We want to experience significance, which I think is evidence, that desire I think is evidence of our God-given desire for value and purpose. We seek out glory. It's part of our nature to want to experience glory. Now, about four years ago, I was playing pickup basketball with Nick, who's here this morning playing drums for us, and, and we were at OSU. It was early in the afternoon on New Year's Eve four years ago. And who walks in but Greg Oden, right? Greg Oden was the all-star freshman center for Ohio State in their 2007 NCAA tournament run. Uh, And he ended up being the number one pick in the NBA draft. He had lots of injuries. It's a a tough story. It's difficult. Um, But here he was, right, at the gym, just playing pickup basketball. And so we're playing. Okay, I'm guarding him. Me. Look at, can't, me. Him. And, my, you know, my friend happens to pull out his phone at the exact moment that Greg absolutely throws me out of the way and he just dunks it. I think we have a picture. Okay. It's very bright. It's not very bright. I'm also maybe in the way. That's me, okay? You can see me being like this. There's like a foot difference. So it was fun, okay? It was hilarious. Like, it was a fun moment. Like, just that afternoon, it was like, okay, this was cool. Like, we played against someone who played in the NBA like, and, and played for Ohio State. That's pretty fun. And I didn't think of anything of it, right? But the post ends up going viral, okay? Greg Oden dunking on me is everywhere, okay? It's on every sports website. It's on ESPN. They're talking about it on the radio. It's everywhere. And there should be another one. I, I ended up saving a lot of these, but there's all these comments like, for, the, for instance, this one, it says, it says, congrats on dunking on the six-foot waiter from Applebee's. <laughs> That's me. I'm the six-foot waiter from Applebee's. <laughs> but I love telling this story, okay? I, I was loving this moment. Like, it was hilarious. 
I've got a lot more like R-rated comments about me and like, and, and they're funny. But I love telling this story, okay? And it's kind of embarrassing, it's a little bit embarrassing, but I love the idea that it got picked up, you know, like by, by places or whatever, and that I got to play basketball like with this famous person, and it still comes up, you know, the, I'll, still, I'll still have people tell me, be like, hey, I showed someone the Greg Oden video the other day, and I was like, oh, great. But even for 20 minutes, right, even for five seconds of fame, right, uh, uh, being part of something cool like that was fun, and it's, it was widely viewed, right? And this is what I'm talking about. I'm not, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily saying this is a bad thing, right? This isn't a bad thing uh, uh, to enjoy or experience this idea of recognition or, or glory. This, maybe this isn't the exact type of glory that uh, we're looking for. But it illustrates the fact that we have this inherent pull, I think, towards uh, recognition towards wanting to be great, towards being noteworthy and significant. So I want to look at today what it would mean for us. What would it mean for us as a group, as a church, as people, to be captivated and captured by the glory of God? If we, like Moses and the onlookers in this passage of Exodus, see the Lord as holy, glorious, majestic, and magnificent, that he is, then we get to experience a greater glory than we have looked for in so many other different places. I want to challenge us not to turn away from the idea of glory, but to turn towards the freedom, joy, and unity that God's glory leads us to. So I have three observations from this passage and from our entire series in Exodus of how we are changed by being captivated by God's glory. And what a perfect day, I think, to dwell on this as we celebrate God's grace and provision for us, for our church in the past few seasons and in the new one that we are about to embark upon. Amen? All right, let's begin with the first observation. The first observation is that when we are captured by God's glory, we are liberated from enslavement. In Exodus, we see that God's people are enslaved by Pharaoh in Egypt. They cried out to God to remember them, to see them in their needy state, and to deliver them. They were slaves in a foreign land with no recompense, no ability to free themselves, no power to stand against their oppressors. But God steps in, right? God raises up Moses. He stands against Pharaoh and the Egyptian religious system that was set up to consolidate power among the few and oppress the many. God enters into the situation to bring them to freedom, both physical and spiritual liberation. And there was no other option. There was no other power in that day that could stand against the stronghold of the nation of Egypt. They were the greatest superpower in the world. And only something greater could come against them and bring liberation to the Hebrew people. And we too, I think, find ourselves apart from God under a spiritual enslavement. Apart from God, we only know selfishness, going by the ways of this world. Apart from God, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from the sacrificial blood of Christ and our union with him by faith, we cannot stand before God as accepted and loved. 
God himself liberates us from spiritual slavery to experience his glory and to worship him. We were made to be in relationship with him, but our imperfection, our sinfulness keeps us from that closeness. Without Christ, we would be just like the Israelites in Egypt, unable to break our own chains and take our own freedom. But when we recognize that there is no one like God, there's nothing more glorious, nothing greater than him, our natural response is worship. We fall on our knees and we give God what is rightly his. He is the creator, we are the creation. We are greatly loved and sought after by God. And when we finally see that and cling to it by faith, we experience a liberation like no other. We go from death to life. We go from spiritual darkness to glorious light. The blood of Christ bridges the gap, the distance, the separation that lies between the sinful hearts of humanity and the perfect holiness of God. That is the salvation that we hold up in the Christian faith, one of liberation from our undeniable state of condemnation as imperfect children who have run away from home. And when we finally turn around as God calls us home, we find that he is right there, close at hand, ready to receive us back with open arms and a warm embrace. There is no other message like that. There is no other greater distributor of love and grace than God. That's what makes his glory so great and so special. Nothing can liberate us like God's love. Nothing can bridge separation and create unity like God's acceptance. Nothing is greater than God's glorious liberation. And we are, when we are captured by that glory, by God's distinctiveness, his uniqueness, we experience the liberation from the only way that we knew how to live for ourselves. It doesn't mean we change overnight. It doesn't mean that we figure it all out in one single moment. It doesn't mean that we are objectively better people than people who don't know God. But it means that we experience something utterly different from anything else in this created world because we enter into a relationship with the creator of everything. That's the first observation, that God's glory liberates us from spiritual enslavement to sin and death. Our second observation is that when we are captured by God's glory, our lives get a renewed significance. When we see and worship this glorious and powerful God who loves us and frees us from enslavement, we are given a new purpose. Our lives have new meaning and new importance. The Exodus story is a reminder of what we ourselves uh, now call being a part of the family of God when we believe in him, when we follow Christ. The Israelites in Exodus, they're invited by God into a story, into a beautiful picture of redemption that God has been painting since the very beginning of time. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, God created all of the earth, all of humanity and fish and weather and planets and space and lions and tigers and bears and everything. And they didn't have a tabernacle. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have a church. They didn't have anything. They didn't need one. They met with God wherever they wanted because God himself dwelled in, dwelled or dwelled? Dwelled. He dwelled, uh, this has been in my head like the whole time I've been talking. <laughs> 
God dwelled in the garden with them. They met with him anywhere that they wanted. Now, when the fall happens, right, when the fall happens, it created this fundamental alienation between God and man. Adam and Eve, by proxy, uh, and by proxy, all of humanity, right, could no longer easily enter God's presence. Sin had created a gulf between them, a distance, a separation. But from that very moment forward, when all of humanity had turned away from God, God began the greatest story of redemption ever written. And he plays the hero of the story. And we get to play the redeemed, the ones who are invited in. When we finally come to the Lord and recognize his great love for us, his matchless and boundless glory, we get to be part of that same story. We aren't just extras, we aren't just set pieces, but we are players, we are actors. God invites us to be part of this redemption, to be beautiful displays of his grace. In our ugliness, he brings beauty. In our brokenness, he brings sufficiency. In our uncertainty, he brings purpose. When we are united with him, we experience his glory, we get to be part of something that's much greater than ourselves. Now, in 2016, the Cleveland Cavaliers came back from a 3-1 deficit in a best-of-seven series against the hated Golden State Warriors to win an NBA title. I remember where I was. I remember watching every second of that game with my heart racing. Every bounce, every shot, every play seemed to matter more than anything else in the whole world in that one moment. Now, I didn't, I didn't even grow up in Cleveland, okay? I, I, I didn't grow up as a, you know, diehard Cleveland sports fan. But I remember always liking and, and rooting for the Cavs for as long as I've liked basketball. And it's well documented, right, the longtime Cleveland sports curse. Who here, is, who here has experienced that long Cleveland? Like, there's some shame in it, you know? People are like, I guess I like the Browns. The drive, right? The shot. The Browns. Okay, any number of sad missteps and gaffes. But on the night of June 19th, 2016, everything changed, right? With Kyrie's shot, with LeBron's block. It changed everything. I remember when the buzzer went off and Cleveland had won, I was on my knees and I was crying. (laughs) Okay, I'm not ashamed to say that I cried. Not because I necessarily carried the weight of Cleveland's curse, but because I was so happy for the state of Ohio, for the city of Cleveland, for LeBron, for everyone that I know who's from Cleveland, and ultimately for myself, for being a part of it, right? For watching it, for experiencing it, for rooting for the Cavs for so many years. The Cleveland radio announcer, I think, put it best in those final moments. He said, the drought is over, the curse destroyed, 52 years of torment and anguish has been washed away, the greatest comeback in finals history is complete. And I'll be honest, sometimes if I'm having a hard week, if I'm feeling uncreative or I'm feeling sad, I just need to go back and watch this video on YouTube. There's so many elements, right? Redemption, broken curses, impossible odds, right? Somebody doing something that has never been done before. The washing away of shame and guilt and pain. Anyone know where I might go with this? When we're part of something greater than ourselves something that is glorious, something that is great, something that is wonderful, a story that we could almost never imagine on our own, we experience a significance and a purpose that we could never have felt otherwise. Friends, I'm not talking about basketball. 
I'm talking about God's story of redemption. Sports are fun. Sports are great. I remember all the big moments, right? I remember Zeke running up the left side of the field against Alabama to take us into the national title game, which we also won. But God's story, right? God's story is the greatest story of redemption. It's the greatest story ever told, bar none. There's nothing more glorious than what God is doing in the world, what he's doing around us, what he's doing to us, what he's doing through us. Bigger than any book, any movie, any game can depict. And when we are captured by that glory, the glory of the author of that story, and we are invited in to it, it changes us. We start to act different. We start to think different. We start to live different. It changes the very fabric of who we are, how we view ourselves, how we view others, how we view the whole world from start to finish we start to realize that we have value that isn't tied to what we bring to the table. We're image bearers of a glorious God. We are invited to be a part of his story of redeeming the world to himself, away from the darkness of sin and death and towards the peace and glory of love and mercy and grace. In Exodus, God makes it abundantly clear. You will be my people and I will be your God. To those who look to Christ in faith today, you are the same people of God. You are his people. We are his people, and he is our God. We are given a new purpose in worshiping him, experiencing his love and grace, glorifying him in this life and in eternity, and carrying his message to the rest of the world. And that brings us to our third and final observation. When we are captured by God's glory, we recognize that we don't do this alone. In the final passage of Exodus, the author makes it very clear in these final three verses that the people of God take their cues from God's movement. When the cloud moved, the people moved. When the cloud stayed put, the people stayed put. The cloud and the pillar of fire represented God's hand of guidance over them. It showed them where to go, and it reminded them that God was present with them. The tabernacle itself was at the center of their encampment when the people traveled. God was always present at the center. His glory filled the tabernacle, and his moving signified when the people and where the people should go. This passage, this final passage, continues this theme of the entire book of Exodus, that it was a whole people of God that was being liberated and being led. It was a group, it was a nation of Israel that God saved out of Egypt. It wasn't a collection of individuals, it wasn't Moses and the boys, it wasn't uh, 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 anything else other than a people. It is continually and regularly referred to, Israel is, as the people of God, a nation. It was a community that was unified at its core, at its center, by the glory of God. It was a nation that followed God's leading as one, unified. Friends, when we are captured by God's glory, we come to realize that faith is not only about our personal relationship with this God, but it's also about the community that he saves us into. This is true in Exodus the same way that it is true throughout the entire Bible. God is not saving us to be only concerned with our personal faith, but he is saving us to be a part of the people 
of God. We aren't alone. We are never alone in this walk of faith, in relationship with God. We are part of the church, right, with a capital C, not just Scarlet City, not just American Christians, not just people who believe in Jesus in 2018, but the body of Christ, the eternal church of believers. And when we recognize God as glorious and mighty and good, we follow where he leads. We see that he has set up humanity to be in relationship with one another, There is community, there is togetherness, there is mutual encouragement, there is family in the community of believers. We are saved into a diverse and weird and messy family, right, with a wonderful father and kids that are just wild. We ourselves have been liberated by God and given a new purpose, yet we are still journeying to our final destination. But we don't have to go on this journey alone And we don't have to walk alone. We don't have to struggle alone. Knowing that there are people who are also working on their imperfect imperfect selves and trying to worship God and serve the community and love others can help us feel safe, help us feel comfortable both among each other and before God. We are his people. We are his vessels that carry this message of glory. So let's be that community that finds our identity rooted in the center of the camp. Let's start with the simple idea that we are unified by a great and glorious God. And let's take comfort in knowing that we are called to work together, to be imperfect together, to spur one another on towards the Lord in a faith that grows in a community that loves the outsider. So that brings us to the end. To the end of this sermon, to the end of the book of Exodus, we close out the series today. We've seen a picture of God's greatness throughout the story of Israel, bringing them out of Egypt, taking them from slavery to freedom, from irrelevance to purpose, and from captivity to a nation of his people. And we've also seen how that is parallel for us today and what God has done for us in Christ, freeing us from the bondage of sin, giving us a new identity as God's people by faith, and gathering us together in the church. I'm reminded finally of the moments after the Cavs had already won. They're interviewing LeBron on the court, and his face is wet from tears. See, LeBron cried too. And the interviewer asks him, she says, can you describe what you're feeling right now? And he talks a little bit about just how crazy it was, and then he sort of takes a step back, puts his hands on his face, and he looks up to the heavens, and he says, what does he say? says, Cleveland, this is for you. And while this was a glorious moment, okay, and it was done by a seemingly superhuman, a feat, right, of this redeemer to deliver such a thing as a basketball title, I would argue that the greatest depiction and description of glory is this, that Jesus Christ God in the flesh, took on our depravity. He took it to the cross and he received the punishment that our sin deserved and he bore that weight that we could never carry. It was no game, but it was a climactic moment in history. The culmination of God's story of redemption. The ultimate redeemer 
brings the glory and power and majesty of God to the table, opens his arms, and he says, this is for you. This love, this salvation, this invitation, this family relationship with God, this holiness, this glory, this is for you. The ultimate redeemer delivered a knockout blow to sin and death. The curse destroyed. Torment and anguish has been washed away. The greatest comeback in history is complete. Jesus took hold of salvation and delivered it to us, his brothers and sisters, God's people. This is the gospel message. And that is who we are. We are people who by faith are captured by God's glory as we worship a God that is uniquely greater than anything else. This is the story of Exodus. This is the story of the Bible. And this is the story of the church, of us, God's people. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning in gratitude. Lord, we thank you for bringing to us salvation and love and care and a family relationship. Lord, you're more glorious, you're more unique, you're greater, you're larger, you're more significant than anything in this world, in all of creation. And Lord, I pray that we would be captivated, Lord, that we would be captured by that glory. From what we've seen, the glorious things that we've seen you do in history, Lord, throughout the story of Exodus, Lord, and today in our own lives. Lord, I pray that you would be with us, that you would be present with us, that you would continue to liberate us and love us. In your name I pray. Amen.